morning we continue the series on Philippians, and the text is Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30. So if you're looking for that, you just flip the page from Ephesians 6, it's on page 980. The right-hand column, Philippians 1, starting at verse 27. Uh, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, looking at this first chapter, you can see how it unfolds, having conferred upon God's people a spirit of optimism and certainty in connection with his own suffering, the apostle now moves on to ensure that God's people in Philippi and at all times and at all places may be equipped to deal with opposition that they may face because of their faith say our opposition for our faith and Paul's certainty of his deliverance his ongoing service to the churches he knew he was going to continue to serve them it comes out again in verse 27 he says so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of about you good things about you you see how the churches are answerable to God for how they live their lives in good times, but also in times of opposition. And so like the Apostle Paul, God's ordained servants today, also in this place, they want to see and hear good things of your testimony to the truth. We need the right perspective concerning op opposition, the opposition we continue to face today because sometimes it's hard to understand why people would ridicule and reject Christians who are living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Sometimes it's even hard to explain to your, your children why it makes so, people so angry that you want to protect human lives or that you want to be there to comfort the suffering, living a life worthy of the gospel, that you want to worship the creator of, of heaven and earth. And in this context, the Holy Spirit brings calming words. He reassures us that opposition is a part of following a Lord who was crucified on a cross. In Acts 4, the apostles who returned from their, their mission trip, they returned to Antioch and they strengthened the souls of the disciples 
And then we read in Acts 14, verse 22, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Opposition then should not cause doubt in our minds about what we believe as, as, as if we were doing something wrong, but rather it should calm our minds by assuring us that in fact we are on the right track. And in our text, the Holy Spirit tells us plainly that it has been given to God's church not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name. It's been given to us. If you have been given faith, you have been given suffering. And if you are striving fearlessly side by side with others who are standing firm in the faith, our text said it's a sure sign that you will be saved. If you are a believer, you will have to strive for the faith against opponents of the gospel. We don't need to be negative about bearing our cross. And I preach to you the gospel that we can praise God for the grace and privilege of suffering. God ordains the gift of faith with fearless suffering as a sign of your salvation. And we'll see that living worthy of this gospel, we may stand firm in one spirit and strive side by side. Verse 27 makes it clear to live worthy of the gospel of Christ is to stand firm in the faith. The gospel is that you have been adopted through grace for Christ's sake and thus have been made a part of his body. What is true for Christ is true for his body and as we have been baptized with him into death, we are also raised with him to new life. No matter what you might hear, the Lord has told you that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are made and you are restored to glorify God in your relationships, in your work, and in your worship. That's the indicative. That's the, the statement. This is the foundational truth that determines your worldview and all your actions. It's the starting point. There are no other gods. There is no other truth. There is nothing better than loving God and loving your neighbor as the Lord has made you, created you to do in accordance with the Ten Commandments. In order to stand firm in the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, you need this firm foundation. And God has given it to you in his holy word, which is in no way inferior to the ideologies of mankind or, or any conglomeration, any collection of subjective and kind of cloudy, nebulous, and often contradictory ideas or cultural values that a person may choose to submit to. We choose to submit to this word or we choose to submit to the ideas or some general cultural so-called values. And the Lord tells us, stand firm on my word. 
That's the imperative that follows the statement. An imperative is a command. The Holy Spirit says, stand firm. It's a command. Treat God's revelation and the gospel of Jesus Christ as the foundation of your life. This includes diligent study of the truth of the gospel so that you might know the triune God, that you might love him completely, that you might walk with him every day. But it does not only mean to study it and to know it very well, but standing firm in the gospel. It also means to ensure that the Bible is the only source of information concerning the truth about where we have come from, who we are, and where we are going. The Spirit equips us to obey his command to stand firm by guiding our minds so that we don't allow the, the wells to be poisoned by the narrative of the evil one. This afternoon we look at the Lord's Prayer, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We would see this morning that standing firm in the gospel means deliver us even from his story, his, his explanation of reality. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we won't believe anyone who is not connected to Jesus Christ when he or she tells us what we need to have. It's Christmas time. Everybody's telling us what we need to have. Well, we can ask the question, well, based on what? By what authority do you have to, to tell me what I need to have or what I need to look like or what I need to do in this life? You see, when we standing firm on the word of God, we say that's the only foundation. It's the, the basis of, of our judgment of everything that we see and that we hear. And the apostle commands us, the Holy Spirit tells us, to stand firm on the word. Don't even play the game so that we get outwitted. We'll read about that this afternoon in, in 2 Corinthians 5. Don't be outwitted by the devil to to even begin to believe that we are the beggars and the evil one and the world are the donors and, and the gift givers to whom we must appeal and, and plead in order to affirm what we believe or to be recognized. Brothers, we, we start with the truth. We have the Bible as the basis. And brothers and sisters, let us ensure that we stand firm on the Bible even while the agenda is being established. We, there are some things that aren't even worthy of a debate for the truth is so clearly revealed in God's word. And we stand firm on this truth. We can declare it in the preaching. We can declare what the Bible teaches in our conversations and our explanations, but we don't want to give the impression that we accept the possibility that there may be another truth or another way of living that is different than God's word. And standing firm then is further described by the Holy Spirit in verse 28 as being fearless. Not 
frightened by anything, in anything by your opponents. You see, the, the tool of intimidation, the tool of threats, it has no effects on those who are standing firm in, in the confidence that comes from knowing the truth of the gospel. If you know that you are speaking what God himself has said in his word, well, nothing will compel you to compromise on what you believe. And when he talks in our text of standing firm in one spirit, he's touching on the intentions of our hearts, the, the desires of our hearts that are common to all believers. The preachers that we heard about before who were feeling envy in their hearts and selfish ambition, they were not working in one spirit with the Apostle Paul. If there were any such insincere preachers in Philippi, they could know that this was not a position that was worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit calls us to, to one spirit, to be united in their goals and their perspectives and their desires and their confession. Are we united in one accord in all that we believe about the triune God? As we summarize that in, in, in the confessions that we have written down so they could be studied and examined and shared, do we share the same desire to honor Christ with our body, whether in life or in death, like Paul says in verse 20? And we see then how this one spirit is expressed also in, in adopting confessions that that unite believers all over the world in one spirit and, and grant believers confidence and clarity concerning those fundamental truths that we are standing on. We would rather die than give up those truths. Standing firm on God's holy word with our feet firmly planted on the truth. Well, then we are ready also as God's people to adapt, yes, change, adapt to face all the different times and, and all the different cultures and so advance through a changing world with confidence and relevance, standing firm in order to strive forward side by side because the Christian life is never static, it's never unmoving picture of the armed soldier and if you flip your page back to Ephesians 6 and you just look at that picture in verse 10 of Ephesians 6 it's not a, a picture of a soldier who's only on the defensive as he as he blocks the, the blows and the arrows that are coming against him he has yes a, a shield of faith and he has a, a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness to withstand amidst the attacks in the evil day. We read that together. But he is also carrying a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a different direction. His feet are made ready for advance with the shoes of the gospel of peace. He's not just cringing down in defense. He also is, is looking to move outward. He is 
praying in the Spirit at all times, with, with all prayer and supplication. Praying for what? That doors may be opened, that the ambassador of Jesus Christ might, might advance. The work of the church is not merely defensive work, but as the kingdom of God advances from a, a small pebble to a mountain that fills the world, like we read about in, in Daniel's visions, God employs believers in the church to strive side by side for the advance, the faith of the gospel. In the context of opposition and persecution, and believers are brought together under one banner, and such a strong bond is formed that the apostle can speak about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel with one mind. It can also be translated one soul. See how persecution and opposition has a tendency to bring an end to inner struggles in the church, to, to refocus our attention. We recognize the same enemy. We fight for the same king. We hold to the same confession, the unity of true faith. It's a beautiful picture of the church, of, of the congregation, what you are a part of. And what motivates Christians to strive for the advance of the gospel? Why do we want to, to move forward? Well, look at the message of the gospel of salvation by grace alone in Jesus Christ that we are able to proclaim. Look at what we get to speak about. Unlike Satan, we do not advance into the world to destroy lives and to ruin creation. But the gospel always brings hope. It brings restoration. So Peter tells us, if they persecute you, let it not be because you are such an angry person or a criminal or a person trying to prove themselves as right, but let it be because we are reflecting the steadfast love of God, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, we are not striving side by side for an evil cause. We are not promoting a new kind of slavery. Obey our rules. They're new rules. They're better rules. We are not asking anyone to deprive themselves of their well-being, but we preach Christ. We preach forgiveness, peace, eternal life. The words that issue forth from the, the sword of God's word in a Christian's hand. Those are gracious words. We have our shoes on because we have the gospel of peace that we want to share with the world. Recently I've read some very scientific studies, recognized scientific studies that show the amazing positive impact that Protestant missionary work has had on education and economy and the status of women in countries all over the world. This is hard for the world to hear because they have given us the narrative that missionaries are colonial 
uh, destroyers of culture. What the science is showing is actually quite striking. An amazing advance. And this is what it's really about, isn't it? It's not about getting people to look like us, think like us. We want to share the gospel because we love our neighbor as ourselves. Although gospel preaching is a preaching of humility, weakness, and complete dependence on God's grace and Jesus Christ, the transformative, the changing work of the Holy Spirit is a powerful and an immense motivation for God's people everywhere to be active in praying for the advance of the God's kingdom, of talking to our neighbors, of, of striving for the kingdom, striving for peace, striving for that eternal celebration. And our text continues to say that when we are standing firm in this joy and in this confidence and in one spirit and one confession side by side as one soul, as one mind for the faith of the gospel without fearing anything that, that comes from our opponents and the Holy Spirit says in verse 28 that this is a clear sign to them, the opponents, of their destruction. As Jesus Christ responds to the prayers of God's people by equipping his saints with the Spirit. Verse 19, he's filling us with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What happens? Well, Satan rages all the more. He's, he's enraged to see his powerlessness against Jesus Christ and his people. You see that in verse 28? It's a sign of their destruction. It's, it's a fearful sign. God's enemies know, as you read in Matthew 21, verse 44, they are stumbling against a stone by which they will be bruised to pieces. And so with their feet firmly planted on thin air, they are conscious that their time is, is limited, says the Holy Spirit in Philippians 1, verse 28. There's a good example of this fear among God's opponents in Acts 4 and Acts 5, when the Jewish leaders, they were trying to bully the apostles into refraining from speaking or teaching at all in the name of Jesus Christ. They thought they killed that Jesus Christ, he, had, he was gone out of their minds, and yet they kept on preaching, so they, they bullied the apostles. They, they were like bullies in a schoolyard. They, they were annoyed, and they showed it. They were jealous. They were enraged. They beat and they imprisoned God's servants, and I'm just taking quotations out of Acts 4 and Acts 5. But the more the church withstood their attacks, the more the church continued to preach the gospel, the more clearly they could see that they were opposing God to their own destruction. And one of the leaders even said that in Acts 5, verses 38 to 39. It's a sign of their destruction, but for us it's a sign of our salvation, and that from God, verse 28. And that's why the apostles left the presence of the Jewish ruling council, and we read in Acts 5, verse 41, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Why are they rejoicing? It was a sign of their salvation. As Paul could be certain that he was honoring Christ, whether by his 
life or his death, so also everybody who is engaged in the same conflict can know that suffering for the faith is a sign of our salvation. You can see he speaks about this in verse 30. All those engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. And then verse 29, very clear, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That was displayed as you were walking in today as well. I don't know how you looked at that what, that, what that means for you. But the Lord tells us that when we endure persecution and we endure opposition with patience and with fortitude, that persecution can serve as a seal of our adoption as God's children. Our Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, says our Lord Jesus, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are a part of the body of the one who was perfectly righteous and loving and yet was rejected by sinners who were angry to see their wickedness exposed. They were people who were fearful of losing the next election, losing their power over the people, and they opposed Jesus Christ. They were people who were unwilling to submit to God in humility to receive his grace. We are part of his body. We believe that our Savior, Jesus Christ, the perfect righteous one, was crucified on a cross, a shameful death. Should we expect a life free of suffering? When you follow such a Lord, our adoption can no more be separated from the cross and suffering than Christ can be torn asunder from himself. To live lives worthy of the gospel is to live lives under the cross, at the, at the crossroads of the hatred of the world and the love of God, where you see the destruction and the punishment of sin and the ultimate payment and the victory of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God ordains, adorns the gift of faith with fearless suffering as a sign of your salvation. Let us live lives worthy of this gospel by standing firm in one spirit and striving side by side as the kingdom of our Lord and our eternal King advances through the earth until he comes again, and his kingdom will be all in all. Amen.